When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I get it. I used to be the one planning my day around finding a bathroom and living in fear of an accident. I tried the pills and pads, but they just weren't working for me. If you're living like I was, it's time to find an expert physician and ask them about Axonix therapy. It's not another drug. It's an advanced therapy that is proven to provide lasting relief for overactive bladder. Still not sure? You can even try it first to make sure it works for you. You're not alone and you don't have to put up with this anymore. You just have to take the first step towards finding real relief. Visit findrealrelief.com to find a bladder specialist. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. Hello. Welcome to episode 81 of Padaroni, Padaroni. I'm in the, uh, a graveyard in Drogheda uh, waiting for a hurricane, Hurricane Ophelia, to uh, arrive. It's picking up now a bit, actually. In this episode, I talk to uh, Raymond Keane, who's an actor and founder member of the Barabbas Theatre Group, Clowning Group, and uh, a man that uh, I... Uh, was taught by in a, a week-long course called I a Clown, and he's in Ulysses in the Abbey, which I went to see last week, and it's uh, fantastic. I'm not familiar with uh, the book, so I haven't read it. I've started to read it now, but I hadn't read it when I went to see it, um, and it's probably an uh, impossible thing to put absolutely on stage, but it was a good show, good show, very bawdy, bawdy show. More like a show than a play. And I've been doing lots of uh, theatre going over the last week and a half during the Dublin Theatre Festival. What did I go to see first? I went to see the second violinist, Ender Walsh's opera. Uh, Ender Walsh, who was uh, also uh, co-wrote Lazarus, the David Bowie musical. Um, uh, That was good. Oh, yes, yes, visually amazing, and then there was lots of uh, opera where people sing uh, pretty strange lines. Like one line from it was where the uh, husband and wife were, who didn't get on, were uh, the husband was complaining about their wedding, where she kind of took over the arrangements, and he sings, and the food was piss poor. Which is always hilarious to hear people sing lines like that in an opera-type manner. 
What uh, I want to see a thing with my daughter. We went to a girl song in the Samuel Beckett Theatre, a dance movement piece, which was absolutely amazing. And it was uh, there were four actresses, and they were all, I believe, taking different parts of the psyche of a young girl. And the music and lighting and uh, dance in it was just brilliant. Then I went to see her voice in the Samuel Beckett Theatre, which well, just left me cold. It was uh, a version of a Samuel Beckett play called Happy Days, but with the uh, dialogue taken out, which, considering that the main actor is stuck in a hole for the whole play, uh, I didn't see the fucking point of it. I, I was a bit annoyed, actually. I mean, basically, if you hadn't if you hadn't seen the original play, then this was just ridiculous. So that was shite. And uh, then I, with my daughter Duana again, we went to see the Good House of Happiness in Smock Alley, and that I would say was the best thing I've seen. Absolutely brilliant. Two, three, or four. Chinese actors and two Mongolian actors, one Irish actor and uh, again great music and lighting and movement again and a really, and lots of very funny moments particularly when they all begin to uh, um, shout racial stereotypical abuse at each other which is something I guess that we don't uh, we forget as white people that we uh, we, we uh, haven't got a monopoly on racism, and that uh, um, and that we see uh, all Asian people as one, and uh, even within China itself, there are many different um, groups of people who. Uh, don't like each other at all and uh, see themselves as completely different uh, obviously because it's such a massive country and then the Koreans and you know Mongolians Japanese they all don't get on so it's good to know that that's what really join that's what really we all have in common it's what can bring us all together is the fact that we don't really like each other and we're prejudiced against each other so uh, that's been my uh, last week and a half or two weeks, doing the, apart from doing my gigs around the country, driving around. So, and here I am in the graveyard of the Protestant St. Peter's Church in Drada. Now, now you're probably getting a little bit of the uh, windy hurricane there. And I just walked around the corner and saw two people in the graveyard. Can you believe during the hurricane there are actually another two people here? And uh, I just turned around and went back because it looks like I'm talking to myself. They don't realise that I'm talking to you, podcast listeners. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, let's let's go on then. So is uh, Raymond Keane, brilliant man. This is a really interesting uh, conversation. Um, just the the uh, way that he got into performing and. Uh, uh, he uh, story with uh, cutting. Uh, there's this wonderful story of him being asked to cut U2's hair 
It's beginning to whip up here. There's a few branches on the ground. You're, you're told to not make it any unnecessary journeys. And yet I'm out recording, recorded this podcast. Hey, let's do that. I'm going down to draw it. It's like a ghost town. There's no one out. Apart from the two people. Oh my God, there's a branch off a tree. Shit. On the ground. So, yeah, it could. I guess it could be uh, dangerous then in that case. Well, okay. Well, have a listen to this and uh, perhaps later, if I survive, I'll uh, bookend this interview. Here we go. Raymond Keane. This is lovely. Thanks for for um, inviting me into your dressing room here in the Abbey. I've never been in here. It's hallowed ground, isn't it? This is you're in the hallowed halls now. You are deep <laughs> in the bowels of it. Actually, we're in the second basement. I think is that where we are now. Down. But it is dressing number one. Number one. So that must be important. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Wow, that's well done, Ray. Uh, should I call you Raymond, Ray? Raymond is usually, Raymond, but, you Raymond. Know, it, it, that's yeah. a Dublin thing, actually. <laughs> Most people in Dublin call me Ray. Do yes, they, that's, yeah? That's what you do here, you know. Down in Dungarvan, they might call me Raymond. You know what I mean? Raymond, is it? Raymond. Well, I'm Joseph uh, to my family, or yeah. used to be anyway, and Joe to everyone else. Someone tried to call me Joey once. Didn't like, didn't like it. <laughs> so, anyway, you, you grew up in uh, Dungarvan, as you just said. Dungarvan, County Waterford. I and and uh, you, were you in a performery type family? Was Not there any one of that? bit, no. no. Although I suppose, you know, you could trace performance to everything. My dad, you know, uh, funny enough, I'll start off by, he, he, was, he had a nickname, I think. I don't know whether we gave it to him or who gave it to him or it was around. He used to be called Bobby Dazzler because he was a snappy dresser. Not by his, or perhaps his own uh, interests as well, but my, I have six sisters, and they used to dress him as they grew older, and, and, and uh, uh, my older sister, Mary, still dresses her husband in a similar, very flashy, kind of dazzling way. He's a horse trainer, actually, you know what I mean? And, uh, mm. he, you know, but uh, anyway, he used to have a tree. Back then in the 60s, he, would have, he had a three-piece maroon suit and pink shirt, you know, with matching tie. You know, that kind of thing. Wow, that is and flash. sheepskin coats and that type of thing. You know. He was a, a bit of everything you see. And don't, in one way, he was a performer in this sense that he was a publican with a fish shop, second-hand furniture. He was an auctioneer and valuer. He exported fish. He sold Zetter tractors, uh, boxes that Ford cars came into farmers to make sheds. He was a businessman. Right, you yeah, know, yeah. Everything barred the undertaker in Dungarvan. You know, that's the way I describe him. So that's and yet no ed- education. He left school at, at sixth class, you know, and, really? and, and sort of made his way from there, you know. But he was, in some way, he was a loud man, you know. So I guess that's a performer in a right. way, you know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, so the publican, I mean, that is yeah. performing and stuff yeah. like that, yeah, yeah. And I became um, a hairdresser, I, which yeah. is a complete opposite to what I would have been expected to do, you know, going the bam- family business. And why hairdressing? What the hell that was that about? I had no clue about that, you know. Uh, but I guess an attraction to it. But in one way, now looking back, and you can always trace things, the the salon floor is not unlike a stage in its way as mm. well. You know, it's sort of a performance. And when I worked in London... So what, what, what made you move to London then? 
So you did hairdressing for a while in Dungarvan? I, I know. I did. I started training as a hairdresser in Peter Marks and Cork. In Cork. An apprenticeship, Peter yeah, Marks. Yeah. They had a big, uh, uh, you know, window that was open in front so you could see in. And that was relatively new back in those days in the 70s, you know, that you could see into a hairdresser's. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they were all looked incredibly cool and glamorous to me. So I wanted to be one of them, I guess. Yeah. The same later seeing theatre, I suppose. I wanted to be one of them. But uh, so it started there, you know, I spent 11 months there. They sent me to the school here in Dublin to train as a hair cutter and then just left. I went to London not for no other good reason, only that I fell in love with uh, another apprentice hairdresser in Cork, uh, Anya O'Brien from Yall, and I followed her to London. Right, OK. Yeah, so that was it. And what did you do then in London? I worked in... Uh, Robert Feelings of Regent Street, it was called. They were a, a big sort of, a, you know, they had salons all over London. And I worked in their King's Road branch mainly, mm. sometimes in Sloan Square as well. So so that was, a, wow, you can imagine, like, small town boy, you know, hitting London, King's Road. When King's Road was King's Road, it was like the punks had just well, arrived oh, yeah. with their white rats on their shoulders. And, you know, I was going like, what the hell, you know. What year is this then? Is it, uh it's got to be, uh, I, I guess, 77. Ah, just when Pump yeah. was, was hitting, yeah. right. So, I mean, it blew my mind apart, of course, you know. Yeah. And, and the woman I fell in love with was a, a radical feminist, which I was delighted to have. I mean, it was a real eye-opener. So, you know, I suppose this coming from a small town, very patriarchal family, very uh, very of its time, you know. Yeah. Um, Six sisters, I suppose that makes you a feminist in f- some form or other. Um, uh, but and so coming in, uh, up against new ideas beyond hairdressing, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And and of course the whole punk era, and even I guess, you know, remember London in those days, it was still like some of the B and Bs would have no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. You know what I mean? That was even even then, back yeah. Back then, absolutely. I know. I almost didn't absorb that, you know. I was so innocent. But I remember management talking to me about, the, you know, like the, the Birmingham bombs and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Right. And, oh, being Irish is not so cool here, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. whereas I didn't, I was so innocent going there, you know. But uh, Right. But, and then I suppose, when would Boomtown Rats have come along and, you know... Just 78, maybe, or Yeah, so if? you were kind of, oh, God, we can do that too, maybe, you know, the, mm-hmm. the punk thing or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you were in London doing the hairdressing, and then yeah. did you uh, have any, what, was there a yearning to be no, on stage? No, in fact, you know, uh, uh, I ended up going to Amsterdam, again, following the woman I loved at the time, kind of, or, yeah, maybe following her, um, uh, so Amsterdam was a, was a complete eye-opener then, of course, on top of London. And I'm still mm. in my early 20s at this stage. Mm-hmm. I'm very innocent. You know, if I look back, how innocent I was. Small-town boy, you know what I yeah. mean? Uh, so mind-blowing stuff, I guess, you know, between London and Amsterdam. And then I came back to London for a while. Then went back to Amsterdam for a while. Broke up with my love uh, at the time. Broke my heart. Yeah. I, although I didn't even, you know, ignored it at the time but I was obviously heartbroken but you know having a ball as well you know uh, I mean Amsterdam and I remember I remember you two coming to play in the Milky Way there and you know I'd been home for a holiday and I got one of their singles and I brought it back to my muso friends in Amsterdam Uh, they had a band kind of a 
a replica of the jam or a, almost they were like the jam but they wrote their own songs a mod band and I said oh I found this great Irish band and you're going to love it and I didn't know anything about music and they, they did like it they loved the singing I can't remember some bridge was in the title oh it? A Day Without Me is that there's a bridge on the cover maybe. yes yeah maybe it was yeah, that yeah. so they liked that and then so we all went to see them in the Milky Way you know what I mean yeah. and, I, and I have no no problem saying this but uh, I thought they were awful yeah. uh, we all thought they were awful Bono Masturbating around the pillars in the <laughs> was he? Well, no, but you I know, mean, in the air, I don't in, mean, yeah, I that know was a metaphor. <laughs> I know, I know what you mean, but jumping around, little did I know, and, and look what they became. And and then years later, I ended up cutting their hair, you know, when I was at a hairdressing studio in the Grapevine Arts Center, and I ended up cutting oh, the, the boys' hair, so that was weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, when they were big, and they, were, they had just made Unforgettable Fire, so they had right. just went bang, you know, like all right, you know, yeah. Yeah. Morty, whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, their stylist at the time, Marion, knew me and had heard of me cutting hair, whatever, etc. And I was doing this hair, which I might as well say, in the Great Fine Arts Centre, you know, in a, you know, while I was studying movement downstairs. This is yeah. years so, after coming back from Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. I had this whole social policy about hair, waged and unwaged prices and doing an hour per person and there was massage and natural hair. So they heard about it. And Marion came in and said, would you come and cut the lads here? And I says, ah, no, I won't. They'd have to come in here. Uh, I was up my own hole. Wow. Know? So in comes Bono the first. And, and uh, uh, you know, and I, you know, and it's not that I didn't, I wasn't that stupid, but I had, I made a point of saying, are you waged or unwaged? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> because it was six. At that point, I think I was charging six and eight pounds or so. Yeah. It started with five and eight maybe, and then it was six and ten or something for waged or unwaged prices. You know, but it was part of what it was about, you know. So anyway, I mean, with great persuasion, they came in through Marion, and Marion kept saying to me, look, and I knew Marion from old as well, you know, she was yeah. around town, um, uh, and she said, look, will you just come out to Winmalane or whatever they would be? Uh, we'll pay you, you know, I mean we fly hairdressers around the world, you know what I mean? I yeah. said, no, they'll have to come in here. He said, we'll pay you. We'll pay you. And, you know, I was so innocent as That's well. That's amazing that you stuck by it. So, so they kept bonds. coming into me and then, obviously, I never cut the edges hair. He didn't really have hair to cut anyway, but uh, Adam's mm. hair and, and Larry's hair and Larry's wife and Bono's wife and, you know, yeah. you know amazing uh, uh, people, you know. So... But it always kind of kept the distance. Then I decided I was giving up hair to become an actor. No fucking training whatsoever, or no skills. Uh, I'm giving up the hair, and they were saying, well, would you not just cut ours, you see, because we could fly you around, and, you know, we'd pay you really well. It's just, no, I'm going to pass it over to my friend Finton now. He's going to do your hair. I wish I'd kept it on yeah. <laughs> all these years later. Wow, and but Finton has been with them for years, has he? He went around the world with I think them. I know him, yeah. stylist, Finton Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah. you've come across him. I've yeah. just met him there lately, actually. I was, uh, so you passed up that job. <laughs> so, but I mean, no, that's the last job I would have liked, to be honest, you know what I mean? Uh, traveling around the world with a rock band, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I'm sure it'd be great for a while. For a know? while, but then I guess, yeah. yeah, maybe. And then a few years later, I ended up doing movement classes with Adam up in his uh, mansion in, in Marley Grange. Really? I swear to God. It was amazing. I think it was Finton came to me, actually, at the time. He said, look, Larry... Uh, or uh, Adam wants to do he wants to work uh, Adam his, Clayton Adam Clayton yeah, sorry, yeah. wants to work on his rhythm a bit I was going is he not the bass player <laughs> yeah. um, but he's brilliant you know uh, yeah. but he just he wanted to get more physical yeah on stage so, yeah. Uh, 
I ended up going up. It was summertime, you know, once or twice a week for about four weeks while they were off tour. Uh, and, you know, incredible. Nine o'clock in the morning, I was fresh as a daisy. I was doing a lot of movement at the time. I nearly killed the poor fucker, you know, yeah. because I was full of energy and he was He's probably hung over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it was sweating. But we had a great time. And we used to, you know, be pints of lemon juice. And, yeah. You know, and... Uh, well, wild out in the backyard, you know what I mean? Doing what? movement with them. So that was weird. Wow, wow, wow. And tell me about the grapevine. A lot of people won't know what the grapevine no. is. The grapevine centre was up in Parnell Street, was it? Up, we were uh, up in North Frederick Street North first, Frederick Street, and then yeah. it became the City Arts Centre, which you probably did gigs there. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. yeah. That was the kind of next building up, you know. Uh, but we were in this sort of old Georgian building up in, in, in North Great Georgia Street. And in fact, Dermot Bolger ran a, print, uh, a publishing uh, company there, poetry publishing and... and uh, etc. Who started the grapevine? How did it? How did it Sandy Fitzgerald, who is Finton's brother. Okay. Actually, he was the one that I always thought he was the. It used to be a folk club on North Great Georgia Street, and they would have had people like Sonny Condell and mm. the first Irish folk basement, dingy basement. You know mm. what I mean? And so then they moved out. Tom McGinty, the Dice Man, was involved. Susie Kennedy, singer performer. Uh, uh, they had a design studio there the flying colours they were called Charlie O'Neill my friend still he is now Persuasion Republic uh, there was photography class yes there. I did a photography class there yeah, yeah. wow isn't that amazing so now you know you know, you yeah. know what, what I'm talking about in this mm. I used to cut hair in the basement mm. for what freezing cold like you know freezing cold uh, and uh I was really passionate about hair, of course, and then I was studying movement in the morning with a guy called Kalichi, who taught this kind of, you know, don't no dance performers, we were called, kind of, it was more Eastern influences, mm -hmm. and making theatre with him, really out there stuff, I didn't know what I was doing, but I loved it, um, and then cutting hair, but, uh, and it was com a community arts centre, we do community gigs, there was an exhibition space, in fact, you two's, there was an exhibition around the unforgettable fire in the exhibition space as well at that time when I, when I was cutting their hair oh. um, or when they first came in. So it was a mishmash of also a lot of street theatre. We used to go to Kilkenny Arts Week and perform there, you know, on the streets or, you know, late night kind of comedy review things or whatever, mad stuff. Uh, but it was sort of, and they, it was Sandy invited me and look, you're doing hair, you're doing hair in a very different way, which it was for its day. A kind of a natural approach, but for me it was beyond that. It was more a political thing about ownership of your body and hair or whatever. You know, very innocent as well. But uh, can but you explain the, the political angle? Or what, well, what, mm. I suppose you know when I worked in Peter Marks, uh, Robert Feeling in Regent Street, Christians in in uh, Holland, they were a bit more advanced as the Dutch can be. You know, a bit more uh, innovative mm -hmm. and in their thinking as well. But uh, for me. First of all, industry is all about sales. You know, how much can I sell to you about for your hair? You know, we were taught how to sell, mm. sell products, you know. That's the name of the game, isn't it? But I often thought, wait now, we're just selling. Is it needed, you know? and But more so, I thought, because I was becoming politically aware, it was tied, tied into my kind of lefty thinking, the punk era, mm. because punk was doing it for yourself. It was yes. saying, I don't care, I'm not doing it your way, I'm doing it my way. And, and also punk, uh, so the attitude you had when you two wanted the haircut, 
punk. That was a very punky attitude. That was yeah. like, no, I'm sticking to my principles. Well, sticking to principles, which, yeah. You know, and I mean, being available. Mm. You know what I mean. But also, hair, like fashion. You know, for years, you know, high heels, if you want to call it, or, or for us, tied up suits. You know, ties up to a, cutting off our emotional center. All that. You know, it's it comes from a very military, very stiff upper lip place. You know, mm. so and hair, of course. It's an industry. It's about sales. And hairdressers were doing hair. And people were leaving the hairdressers. They would say it. I know it from meeting them outside. Hating their hair. So what was that about? Mm -hmm. Because the hairdresser made this creation on your head, which probably looked amazing, but it wasn't you. And you could never achieve that look yourself again. Mm -hmm. You know, so you'd have to have the hairdresser do it for you. So it was part of, about taking back ownership as well of, you know, making hair. That was an interesting thing because I quite often, it happens to me all the time, yeah. I leave the barbers with the hairdresser and I go, I can't wait to get home I know. so I can I know. sort this hair out. <laughs> wash, wash the shit out. I, <laughs> yeah. And why are we so, I'm the same when I go, yeah. when I go to a barber now, I go, okay, I'm going to come out first in this way that I am a hairdresser too. Yeah. So you know, because, you know, whatever. But you know, most, and you go, oh yeah, oh that's great, oh yeah, lo no, fantastic, love it, straight out the door. Yeah, <laughs> really give it a good shake, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm so, trying to work the other way around. About mm. you know, what is real? What's real for you? What do you do with your hair? So the conversation about hair, you know, for me is is a real conversation. So let's dump all the language that we know of the fashion industry, or use it if if it's if it's you know, of, of, of help, but mm. more so about what, what do you want? What are you about your hair? Let's try and work it out together. And rather than me tell you the way you should wear your hair, let's work it out together. You mm -hmm. know? And of course, hair at its very core is, con is connected with health. You know, that's why we, we have that phrase, the bad hair day, you know what I mean? Mm. Because it's immediately affected. If you get a common cold, your hair will be affected because your, your body extracts the it's a storage ground for nutrients, so it takes it back into the mm. body, and we feel, you know, our hair feels bad. So, so and what people want, I could, I'd probably, you know, do it more. What everybody wants is healthy, shiny, manageable hair. So let's work towards that. Mm. So let's dump anything that gets in the way of that, which might be permanent waves or colors or whatever, or blow drying or straighteners or... Let's get away from all that. And then you can do that on top of it. But first of all, get the hair right. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. And in the same way, as you know, because we've worked clown together now, mm. we've worked on that journey together, it's the same thing. It's about this authentic conversation. Mm. And in a language that we're, we're having a conversation, and a conversation is a two-way thing. Mm. So if I can hear what you are about your hair, if I can really hear it, you know, and understand each other's language, mm. then we can get the hair right. Because although after that's technical, you know, and I'm pretty good at cutting hair now. You know what I mean? After all these years, but I got better because of that attitude. Like so, it's basically communicating with the person. Yeah, yeah, and that's similar to what you. Yeah. I mean, I should say I went to your uh, clown. What's it called? Aya clown. Aya clown. Yeah, and uh, it was a. It was a. Uh, a I couldn't, I couldn't explain. I, I still can't explain really to hard, what, 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 yeah. it, what yeah. it was like. So, But it was very much about uh, getting rid of all artifice, wasn't yeah. it? And, uh, it's even though it's about performing and we're all still performers. An still an, it's still like a mask. For yeah. All performance is a mask. But as, as I, I've quoted you, Oscar, Oscar Wilde's mm. fantastic when, you know, uh, give me a man, you know, a man is least himself 
when he talks in his own person, give him a mask and he will tell you the truth. We <laughs> think we have a mask that covers us. Whatever that mask is, whether it's an emotional mask or a, a mask for your bank manager or for your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever, you know, they usually come down. We see through the mask. We allow you the mask yeah. because we know the mask of clown or of stand-up comedy or of theater or of song. Or, you know, there's always the mask we wear. Yeah. And the different mask we have for to protect ourselves during the day as well. The mask you wear going down O'Connell Street at three o'clock on a Saturday night mm. is a different mask to, you know, walking down some beautiful country road. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, just in that class, we'll just talk about this now yeah. because we're, it came up. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really difficult uh, to, you, you have to struggle in front of uh, the audience of your yeah. your fellow uh, clients, participants, participants yeah. And, uh, but as an audience member, it's when you're looking at someone struggling that it's more, it's, it's really, it's when you're drawn in. I found, right. Riveting. It's riveting. Yeah, riveting. to see someone struggle, yeah. the struggle, to see the struggle. Yeah. But also, you know, and I think I said it to you at the time as well, and I, I, I think I reminded you and the class a number of times that, you know, because of your experience, you're an experienced performer, mm. is ten times more difficult. To drop And I've it. seen that from every, from, you know, I've been in a clown class, not my own, but with Alwyn Freire and other actors or whatever. And the more experience you have, myself as well, like when I go back to it, you know, if I go back to my teacher or teachers, you know what I mean? I'm going, oh my God, here we go again. Yeah. You know, uh, dig deep again now and, you know, no tricks allowed. Yeah. Tricks come later, you know, whatever. But first of all, and what is it that, and I think, you know, for me, it's almost like a metaphor for what people are really looking for today, you know, in their experience in the theater or at a concert or whatever, an authentic experience. Yeah. Because we've been sold the other one for too far too long. You know, the artifice, you know, yeah. and the industry selling us, you know, the pop stars or whatever. No, we want actually a real experience now. And that's why I think we go to stand up comedy because yeah. we get to be with you. For an, uh, um, a, a good chunk of time, you know. What I mean? Yeah, but as you as you uh, as you continue doing stand up or whatever it is, acting, whatever, you can lose sight of that. Like for example, what I learned from doing the clown class, I think, is to, that I could bring to my stand up was to actually uh, look for a struggle for myself on stage. Mm. Maybe f find something in every performance where I'm where I'm not comfortable. See, it's brilliant. That's that's and that's live. That's that's. When we are at most alive, hmm. when we give in to who and what we are, I guess, you know, and, you know, what is that, you know, like in the show at the moment, I'm singing that song, you know, I'm going, oh my God, you know, I'm not a singer, but I, you can't stop me singing, you know, um, or playing, you know, I insist, but, uh, but it's the cracks in it, I think, that people are responding to, the fact that I'm not a perfect singer, you hmm. know, that, and it's that, that's the humanity of it then. Now, I love perfection as well like the perfect voice you know though i wish i had it but uh you know or the perfect performer but we know that it's n not going to be perfect every night anyway you're always going to trip up somewhere you know mm. uh, but what you what we were reckoning we were in that workshop of course and i clan we were stripping everything away remember oh yeah. we we took everything away anything that you had safe at all to cling on to 
that wasn't of value to us in that workshop because we were all trying to go back to the bare fundamentals of what it is to be authentically present with your audience. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm. And that's brave. Yeah, and no, I didn't expect that at all. And the uh, I didn't expect that that was what it was going to be about. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, uh, it was just incredible. So, how did you like get into? You started Barabbas. That that's yeah. Barabbas. Now, when did that come about? Did that come about. Uh, um, that came nineteen ninety two. We got together myself, Michael Murphy, mm. and Veronica Coburn, uh, and we had known each other from around doing street theatre, doing a few corporate gigs. So know, you, was, but you were doing street theatre before you. Oh yeah. Uh, like, how did you? Well, that's how I got into performing. Maybe we should start there. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 In Amsterdam, doing hair. A mind exploding into all sorts of smithereens about what life and, you know, I came across David Bowie. Everybody had been listening to him for years and then suddenly I, somebody introduced me, I'm oh my God, yeah. you know, what the hell. Oh, music means something. Words mean things, you know, all this total awakening, you know. Yeah. And at the same time, I was going up and down to Paris. I actually went, you know, with the woman I loved first, we went down to Paris for a weekend and I saw street performers outside the Pompidou Centre who were probably studying in Marceau or in Jacques Lecoq school. And a lot of people working without words and mime and, you know, imitating people or whatever. Yes. I was totally transfixed. I had never seen anything like that in my whole life. And I was just completely, you know, was like awe-inspired. Got back to Amsterdam, bought myself a mime book in the Milky Way to teach myself mime. And I'd begun teaching myself mime in front of my mirror in my flat, you know, with the wall and the robot and whatever. I don't even know how I did it, to be honest. I went to one class in Amsterdam, but it was in Dutch, and I didn't have enough Dutch to follow it, so I didn't go back. Uh, then Great Fine Arts Centre came to play in the Milky Way, nine of them, and all nine of them stayed in our kitchen floor, uh, and Tom McGinty was one of them, the, the, the dice the man. The dice man. And he saw my mind book and my makeup. and I'd never performed, you know what I mean? But he says, OK, forget all that. And he gave me a costume, a little drummer boy, jacket and an imaginary bugle yeah and i took it and he brought me out on the damn square and that was that was it there was no going back after that yeah so i came back to ireland started performing on grafton street when there were still people walking under by the way when there was cars was, uh, cars, cars yeah, going yeah, up and yeah, down. Yeah, yeah um and i was doing robotic robotics and well, nobody ever seen it in this country obviously there was Hundreds of people, you know, used to stop. But I'd go out at 11 o'clock on Saturday night. You know, lethal time to be out there <laughs> doing stillness, but, you know, and, and robotics. But I loved it. And then I joined the mime company, the Oscar Mime Company in, in here in Dublin, and then, and so on. Grapevine. Okay. They all came later, you know what I mean? And then you, you uh, and Michael Murphy, and who else? Someone Veronica Coburn. Veronica Coburn. You know, we, but we all, I worked in Young People's Television for seven years, you know. I'd oh, doing what? Doing Padro's oh, jump box. Yes. Right, right, right. The whole shebang, Scratch Saturday, you know, seven years. And Michael and Veronica were on a different program with, with Maureen, with uh, Mrs. Doyle. Oh, uh, oh my God! Isn't that terrible, <laughs> McGlynn? Uh, Pauline McGlynn. Paul, Jesus, Pauline McGlynn. How could I forget it? Yeah, uh, I yeah. just met her last night. But uh, uh, so they were in another program with Jerry Stanbridge down the hallway. They had their offices, so we knew each other from around and mm. doing street theatre and doing whatever you know, a few shows around town as well. And then um, so they were setting up a workshop with all like-minded people who were in interested, as they said, the jumpy up and down kind of theatre. Um, 
uh, and we just spent a month in a in a workshop and with everybody from Annie Ryan and Michael West and Cindy Cummings and Michelle Reed and loads of people who we'd know, Andrew, uh, loads of actors that we all know now who are, you know, mm. all amazing in their own rights. And uh, and they decided at the end that they were going to do a show, a kid's show or something like that, and they were going to ask one of us to be involved. And they asked me. I was going, me, me, me? Why are you asking me? Uh, and then I said, uh, no, I'm not interested. But what, what I would be interested in doing is setting up a company. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was talking about. So we sat for three days drinking tea and formed Barabbas. Okay. Yeah. And then we spent a year playing together before we showed anything. And uh, and then did three shows back to back in the project and launched ourselves. And that was that. Was that. Wow, yeah. And so, how did you? How do you? How did you come up with shows together? You, you how did you? Devise? We got to, we got to know each other over did the you? first year, you know. Right. And uh, we devised one cl- red nose clown show. That was we said we just devised our vision statement, you know, for the arts council, you know, to be inspired by the European traditions of clown, bouffant, and comedia dell'arte. Mainly because they were real sexy names, and we knew that they'd ring the right bells <laughs> in the arts council, and they did. Uh, yeah. uh, and we did three shows John, come down from the mountain John Clown John Clown half eight massive a Tuesday with lots of puppets and miniatures because I had puppet experience from TV mm. but also from elsewhere mm. uh, uh, and then a five actor version of Macbeth yeah. directed by Jerry Stembridge so you couldn't ignore us we put three very different things up in front of you over a month in the project and you know everybody went oh they're amazing and then uh. we Sort of got on the funding ladder and uh, bit by bit went up and up and up and then yeah. Yeah, had you know three year funding for a while and then toured the world and you know Michael left after seven years Veronica after fourteen years I'm still sort of clinging on after twenty one years twenty two years now even though I'm not functioning through Barabbas I've decided not to apply for funding for the last number of years because I just got pissed off at the assholes in the Arts Council because they cut our f- core funding some yeah. years back and then I was getting. And do you project think funding, and I thought, no, mm-hmm. I'm not going to play your game. Not, not. I don't trust you, bunch of fucking assholes. Basically, you know what I mean. Well, do you think? Because I've had it from a few people, maybe Peter Sheridan as well. That um, that the uh, system, the arts, that there, I don't know that there, there's. It's, a, it's a, fairly a impossible of, thing to get right anyway. You yeah, know I mean? yeah. How do you do it? And who? And who of course, everyone. What's good and bad? Everyone anyway? is going to be yeah. upset about themselves. And we were cut. <laughs> we were cut because it was yeah. the, the downturn in the economy, and they cut eleven companies the very first okay. round. You know what I mean? And uh, what was great is that there was a huge backlash from the theatre community going, "You cannot cut Barabbas." I mean, what, you know, yeah, I was. It was a big success. Um, I was on my own at this point, you mm-hmm. know. But we were touring internationally. We were, you know, at the workshops with kind of, you know, mentorships, programs, you know. We had all the right things. And they just cut us. And we, I was going, what? You know? Yeah. You know? And then they said, oh, we'll give you funding different ways through project funding. And I did that for a couple of years. But I, I didn't want to work like that because I had to pay people less and, and yeah. work all year for nothing. So yeah. it was the downturn, you know. Yeah, you could blame that, but I don't. Seven or I eight blame or you. Yeah. you. Still made the decision, you know, and you apologize now. And I got a phone call the morning of the cut, and I was the only person who got that phone call of all the other ten companies. They didn't get the phone call. I got the phone call yeah. from the director of the Arts Council. Jesus. So, you know. Anyway, leave, and, leave, and leave that. I'm bitter and twisted about that still, <laughs> as you can see. <laughs> um. 
And but how is your so how has your idea of what a clown is developed? Has it changed like, from when you started out? Because you yeah. talk about the shamanic element of a clowning. Uh, I do, uh, and it, it uh, massively changed since. I mean, it was totally innocence. Remember, I saw I, and I taught myself in the mirror. That's all I knew. And then mm. bit by bit, you come across people like Tom McGinty or whatever, and uh, and then. I don't know what it is. It's like, you know, how could, you know, I won't, obviously, you're doing the interview, but how did you become a stand-up comedian? How do we become those things? It's like a compulsion and a pathway that we're drawn mm. to. So I do, I like the underdog. I like the stupid, even though I now know all these years later that clowns are not stupid. That's just one part of them mm. because humans are stupid, but they're also very clever, resilient, loving, hateful. Scary, even, you know, uh, but of all the aspects of humanity, the clown must reflect, you know. I had a call this morning from uh, the Irish, uh, Ireland's Got Talent, they're starting up the franchise here, yeah. and they were looking for, you know, a bit of colour, mimes and clowns and that, that's what they, they were missing, that element, you know, and they'd heard that I taught clown, I said, well, yeah, but this kind of stuff I do is really more theatre and uh, not so sure it would transfer to your show, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because theatre is terrible on, on screen, you know what I mean? But uh, but I said, you know, I put them in touch with all the circus people I know and people with that kind of skills or whatever, you know, aerials and whatever, you know. Uh, oh, they were looking for people to audition. They were looking for... I guess so, yeah. Of, yeah, that kind, kind of, of you know, person yeah. to audition. Yeah. But, you know, loads of people would love it, I'm sure. It wouldn't be my yeah. cup of tea. But uh, uh, I wouldn't have those skills. But uh, so, you know... So, you know, I was attracted to, I, I can't juggle, I can't uni, so it's not that kind of clown. It was a different type of clown. I guess for most people it's easier if I if you mention sort of, you know, like the Chaplins or the Keatons or whatever, because people have some, but it's not that either for me. That's part of it. Yeah, but if, you when know, you mention clown, I mean, when I was, try, you know, they think of clowns with big feet and... yeah. The big, massive yeah. smile and all Which that. Which is so brilliant. Like, yeah. you know, and they're all, you know, and they come from the big three-ring circus with the big loud makeup, the grotesque, yeah. huge thing, you know what I mean? Uh, the big big shoes I've, I've researched and they say it's to do with, you know, making people, it, because they make you walk stupid like flippers do and you look a bit inebriated or, you you know, so it gives you already a funny walk. Yeah, right, yeah. You know, Chaplin yeah. had a funny walk. Mm-hmm. Keaton. Yeah. You know, we, we adopt these little personas, I suppose, or tricks that are might suit whatever, you know, I don't know. That's probably the walk you know? is very important to any character. No, well, we're not talking absolutely. about any. How we walk in the world. Yeah. How we all walk in the world. How you place your feet in the floor is uh, is everything in a way, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would often begin characters, you know, if I'm making for this play as well, begin with the feet because that's where you might, oh. That might give you any, in. and then bit by bit, the thinking comes, you know what I mean? The, I work physically in that respect, you know. But yes, so over the years, like, you know, Barabbas, of course, meeting people like Michael Murphy and Veronica Coburn, who are the most extraordinary artists, you know, that I've worked with, some of the most, uh, two of the most extraordinary artists that I've worked with, and their insight into clown, and and our our hunger for what it was. And Michael had gone to Le- the Lecoq School, you know. Uh, we'd both three different backgrounds and we kind of made an, an amalgam of them but uh, and we also thought let's take clown now what is an Irish clown we were preoccupied mm. with that so well an Irish clown 
is us because we're three clowns. You know, we found out in the end. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> What's a French clown? It's a French person doing clown. You know what I mean? Like, but uh, and did would you reflect that anything that was happening in society? For example, the boom years in Ireland? Did you? No, because the, you, that, that was sort of after our time in one way. You know what mm. I mean? Uh, uh, you know, it was there, but we were we were concerned with very more innocent stuff to begin with mm. our first clown show was come down from the mountain John Clown John Clown there was three clowns who shared the same bed uh, two boys and a, a girl clown but and that was normal and uh, uh, not in a sexual way it just was yeah. we all slept in the same bed and it was a day in the life of these three clowns and Michael was a failed reporter with a, a sock puppet called you know Bart Chicken and he would do these ridiculous reports from outside the door and get it wrong all the time because that was his experience in RT at the time. He was a terrible interviewer. So was I. <laughs> um, uh, Veronica made art sandwiches that she sold in the streets. We never sold any of them because they were too artistic, kind of the you know, clown's version. And I was a long-term unemployed clown going right. to the dole office. So it was kind of reflecting on times, yeah. all right, you know. Um, and mm. then we did Half Head Mass for Tuesday, which was looking at the Catholic Mass, half eight Mass of a Tuesday summer in a village. Uh, Veronica had been a Dublin woman, myself, Michael from Sligo, myself from Nungarvan, and people expected, oh, the clown company, what are they going to do with the Mass? In fact, we had no interest in having a go at the Mass at all. What we wanted to do is represent it, revisit it. And even as we all grew up, myself and Michael in particular, we played Mass at home, you know, with the two tiles over the Did you? thing, you know, and we'd cut up, you know, Host wafers, ice cream. Yeah, I never did I, that. Yeah, well, you see, you come from mm. a different time. We grew. I, I was an altar boy. I fucking loved. I there's, was an altar boy. Well, there's the there's the first stage. I hated it. I loved it. Did you? I loved it. I didn't like it. Ringing the bells. Mm. I didn't know. I didn't want to ring the bell because I knew I'd get it wrong. Of course, yeah. The nerves. <laughs> And the cross priest. And the priest wanting more wine and messing yeah. with the priest and all that. Uh, yeah. Patton, you know, he's been tapping people in their necks when they their tongue off. <laughs> oh, right, really? Yeah, so you just went for it big time. Yeah, yeah. I love right. it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. The best costumes ever. It's the best stage, the church. It's sacred geometry, you know, like it's just, they're made for ritual. Yeah, and, and they are the brilliant stages. came after theatre, you know, when we, when we researched it, we found out that actually theatre, the structure of the mass came from the structure of theatre. Yeah, really. Which is extraordinary. And it goes like this, and a lovely arc, you know, mm. where the community arrives to the theatre, the, yeah. the church, is welcomed by the priest. You know, let's say a few prayers to get mm. ourselves in the mood. Here we are. Okay, today we're going to be doing the Mass. Yeah, then we get into the story time, gospel and whatever, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Then we get into the magic, transubstantiation, right. and then we ingest our God. Okay. The now, body and blood of our God. I see what you mean. But I think they could do with better actors because they're, oh, yeah, they're pretty, pretty, bad. pretty poor, pretty poor, <laughs> pretty poor actors, yeah. I mean, I went to see a, a preacher in uh, Harlem one, one time and it was two hours flew by. Just amazing. Riveting. You know, and why, I don't know why we get these. Every now and again, you, the there was one or two priests in my life that you go, okay, I could listen to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, other, you know, and, yeah. But and they're yet, few and, and far yet, between. And yet they kind of, you know, amazing, the costume, the gold and the, you know, the mm. ritual and the, and a little drink of wine in the middle so you get a little buzz from that. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, fantastic. You know, we didn't, the priest did. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and adoration. 
people came and adored the priest. Yeah. You know, remember that? Remember those days when people adored the priest? Yeah. Not anymore. No. Thanks, but it's But even if you had a good, like there was a fella out in Kentstown out in Meath who was brilliant for, uh, he was really dramatic and people loved him yeah. and, and even like we, we would always go there for a remembrance mass or something. Yeah. So not regular churchgoers, yeah. but everyone would say afterwards, geez, if I had a priest like that, I'd go every Sunday. Amazing, he, he did everything with a flourish when he yeah. raised the host. It was like it was all very camp, actually. He was absolutely, very, but it was amazing. You look how camp it is. Look at the Pope, for God's sake, it's unbelievable. <laughs> they have the best costumes, they have, you know, I mean, the best rituals. You can't beat it. You can't, yeah, you can't it's all it. set up. Incredible, just neat. entourages of men, you know, and and nuns and you know. Bowing down to your feet is fucking hell, man. Yeah, it's a great job. I know, yeah. We should just maybe, uh, you should maybe teach out Minute, uh, Aya Clown courses. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love it. And the other thing about it is that, you know, I, I've, I've had a fantasy of, of teaching down in Glenstall Abbey, you know, because I believe it's a place full of knowledge, you know what I mean? Mm. And I would love to do things like the Four Temperaments or something like that because they have, there is knowledge in the church, there is magic, there is shamanism. Right. Remember, there is magic. They just don't give it to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's in the basement of the, of the Vatican? You know what I mean? What's in deep knowledge? What's in, you know, nuns throughout time have been the greatest healers, you know? So what is that magic? It's shamanism, essentially. And are you a believer then in, in are you spiritual? In church? No, no. Not not in Catholicism anymore because but I are, just had too much of a rough time with it, you know? And Yeah, but like... You're talking about shamanism, the four yeah. the four temperaments as well. You, that was part of that course. Yeah. The cla- the masks, the four masks. Well, ma- look, I think you know, like mass theater is is also our church. You know, or mm. art is our church. You know, whether it's visual art or whether it's mm. stand up comedy or whether it's song. What is it? You know, our trans the transformation that takes place with us in us at a good gig is mm. phenomenal. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's. Art, for me, is my religion, in a weird way, whatever religion is, you know what I mean? But it certainly is my spiritualism, you know? Yeah. And as time goes by, of course, it's love as well. It's all about, everything is about love, you know? But uh, but but I was drawn to a Native American clown by kind of an accident, I guess, as I was searching for something, and I came across it. And, you know, in the Native American tradition of clown, they're, they're they, you know the archetype of the clown within the community. They travel in packs. They're seen. They're given kind of free reign to be clowns, you know, uh, and very often encouraged out in times of difficulty when things are getting a bit tense. So the clowns are allowed mock and ridicule everything, you know, and they they say they're associated with the gods of thunder and lightning, mm. something about bringing a storm to town maybe, you know what I mean? They, they're contrary-wise, which, you know, they turn the world upside down. You know, they're allowed mock everything from the high priest to or priestess to the chief to the the child to the everything. They can mm. mock everything because they believe somewhere in their traditions. You know that you know if it if it can't stand up to a good mocking, you know your your societal rules or or traditions, then maybe it's of no value to you. And very often I associate today's stand-up comic with the clown as well. Now, I may mm-hmm. be wrong at times about that, but, th- or the satirist, or the or the clown, you know, the red-nosed clown. People who make fun, who show up through ridiculousness, 
yeah. the ridiculous rules that we fall we follow in the world, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and Mr. Trump is the great clown too. I didn't know, you know, people would, you know, in one the way. The problem we my, have my with purest uh, clowns, I wouldn't dream, you know, people, oh, they're all clowns in the doll. I used to get really offended by that. But no, clowns are stupid too. And he is the poor fucker, Trump. I mean, except that he's a dangerous fucker. Yeah. You know, and he's sickening, you know, vomit inducing for me. Yeah, and the problem you know. uh, everyone has with Trump as a comedian or a satirist is that you can't satirize him because he's too extreme. He's whatever you do as a satirist, he will outdo it. He'll outdo it, which is incredible. It's incredible. Okay. Like we, every I mean, that image of him throwing the the papers the other day, you know, the, the, the kitchen the, towels, kitchen towel, yeah. And what he says. Anyway, you know, I don't, he doesn't know he's a clown. You see, that's the thing, you know, and that's probably brilliant as well, you know <laughs> what I mean? But, uh, yeah, but he's a yeah. stupid clown. I like clever clowns too. You know, look at Chaplin, if you had a clown, like he was yeah, this innocent little tramp, the underdog. And I suppose that in one way, that's what, what drew me to clown in the first place. Or, you know, I, am, I was drawn to the underdog in the world, you know. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? so, yeah. Because I was a bit of an underdog, you know, I was pretty useless in school and, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, underdog, the one who struggles, you know, and the tramp, like Beckett, the greatest clown probably that ever lived in a way for me, except, you know, he wrote this extraordinary stuff about what 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 life is, what it is existence is you know what I mean but look who, who he told his stories or he told like in Gatto the two boys in Gatto Vladimir and Estragon they're two tramps mm. you know they're all his characters they're very out there people you know disassociated with the world a bit mm. a bit like maybe Bloom and Joy and Ulysses as well the outsider yeah. the Jew man you know the one who was mocked and ridiculed you know right um, but had actually the real insight, you know, into what it is to be alive or not, because Godot doesn't explain what life is in the end. In fact, goes, what the hell is it all about? What do we do? I don't know. Keep talking. Let's go on. You know what I mean? We, they can't fathom life. You know what I mean? So they can't go on. I must go on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you're in uh, Ulysses, which I saw there uh, on Saturday. It's amazing. It's uh, a great pack. show. It's a show, really. Too. Yeah, it is. It's a, a show, really. It's not a play. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, almost like burlesque. Yeah, exactly. It's, everything is thrown at it, you know, everything. Yeah. Every style. Uh, and because the director and the, the adapter, Dermot Bolger, um, uh, knows full well that it's not a play. It's a big, huge book, and every chapter is a different style. So we were, it allows you to throw everything at it, and this is like a, a theatrical kind of extravaganza or, or event around what the book might be about. Yeah. With the core players, of course, core characters, hopefully uh, respectful to it, to the text, but also, you know, it's not a fucking Bible here. You know what I mean? It's, you yeah. know, it's not this holy book. Let's fuck with it as well, you know. That's cool. I mean, I was saying to you earlier, or I said it in the email, that it's really bawdy, and I haven't read the book, but mm. you're saying, you told me that the, the book is yeah. just as. It's uh, outrageously bawdy. Yeah. Uh, but bawdy, you know, you see, that's the weirdest thing as well, and that's why in a way why clowns you know like we meet Mr. Bloom you know Leopold Bloom the main central character in Ulysses and we meet him taking a shit in the morning mm. you know and he describes that in great detail and and 
you know, the Molly, Molly's his wife, her her fantasy, says. her needs of as a woman, yeah. a very bawdy, you know, out there. You Unbelievable! Know, like I think we, towards the end, where she says, "I let him kiss my arse," whatever, but she yeah. says, "I'll." And I'll say rump in my face, and I'll say things like "lick my shit," "lick my shit," yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to outrage. Because she says, "I'll say something outrageous, like yeah, lick my shit." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and that—that's incredible. Now, now, but when it was written, it must have been outrageous. Outrageous. Imagine yeah. what the Catholic Church thought of Mr. Joyce. You know, yeah. and I bet you they all read it. Yes. Not that they understood it, but they read the dirty bits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's also the most incredibly beautiful thing based on the Odyssey, or the journey of man, you know what I mean? Mm. And now it's Leopold Bloom, this Jew man who's a, a canvasser for the free man, you know, selling ads for a newspaper and making a living. And, you know, himself and Molly are long time married and they've lost a son, Rudy. So there's that scar there, mm. you know what I mean? You know, they've grown, I suppose, like any marriage is a little, maybe a little bit tired. They're both in the need of an outside relationship. You know, he's having this clandestine relationship by letter with a woman and and she's has Blazes Boyle in the big stud coming to her at four o'clock, you know, with, and she describes his cock in detail. You might remember that, <laughs> bit, the big red throbbing thing. Um, so it's very, and, you know, I must say, you know, whether it's still stands up as a great piece of, man writing for a female character it certainly is up there wow, you know yeah. uh, it's very feminist in you know i mean he was you know extraordinary yeah. like all the great artists i think they saw through the shit and they saw it very often why did both joyce and beckett tell the story of the world through the underdogs you know yeah. the, you know like the leopold blooms or the two lads and the tramp characters you know the outsiders the outsiders. And for me, the clown is the outsider in the world. And in the circus rings years ago, the clown is the only character within the circus who's allowed to break the circus ring. So has one foot in the performance world and one foot in the real world, mm. if you like, and is able to go between dimensions, let's call them. You know what I mean? So what is that? That's, maybe that's why we're scared of clowns, because they, they're with us here and now. It's not just this performance up here, you know. Mm. They kind can of break case, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're scary. I fucking hated clowns growing up, you know what I mean? But, and I still hate them. I want to shoot Donald Trump and Ronald McDonald. You know what I mean? Like, for me, they're the same. Ronald McDonald, what does he do? Sell burgers, sell poison, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's a crap. He's not even a clown, and what he is. But, uh, but so, you know, the clown appears in so many different places for me. It's from from the chaplains to the, you know, our modern equivalents in Hollywood. You know, there's some incredible clowns in Hollywood, you know, people who are doing really good comedy. But the joke right. is on the on the person as opposed to, you know what I mean, like uh, like Jim Carrey, well, Jim let's Carey say, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, yeah. or you know, he's a not kind of an obvious one. There are many more, but I won't remember their names. But I know when I see them, and uh, I even heard Gary Hines say lately, actually, she tweeted, she says, you know, which is a, a phrase that I've used myself over the years because I kind of believe it, that, you know, they say uh, not not all actors make good clowns, but all good clowns make great actors. Yeah. So what's that about? I think something that we're able to deal with, the, deal with the cracks, you know, in the human mm. the human being, you know. And expose the cracks to yourself, which means exposing your own cracks, you know, your own, 
insecurities. So you, to, you bring a lot of yourself in. I think so, yeah. yeah. Because it's about failure as well. Because life is a failure. Yeah. Life is not a success. No. Every now and again, you get a little, whoa, and then boom, gone again. You know what I mean? Life is about imperfections. We know that as we grow older. The amount of fucking letdowns and bruises and wounds that we, you know, accumulate. Yeah, yeah, you don't lives. get to a point. When you're younger, I think you think, oh, when I get to my 50s, I'll have it all sorted yeah. out. No. The heart gets wounded, the soul gets <laughs> wounded, the ego gets battered. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's good to see that. Yeah. On stage. Anyway, I, uh, thanks for having a chat with me. It was most, most of me talking, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, well, that was the whole idea, I think. <laughs> but no, it's a brilliant journey from hairdressing in Dungarvan. Oh, where was it? Yeah. In Dungarvan. Philip <laughs> Fish, really. That's where I started. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> to, uh, to hairdressing. Ulysses to, in the Abbey. Uh, yeah, uh, who would have thunk it? Yeah, <laughs> I know, uh, yeah. For God's sake, Beckett and Ulysses. I did a Beckett piece last week, a company, uh, an in-development piece in the festival as well. The most trickiest thing I've ever learned. Uh, and we will do that next year in the festival, you know, uh, an extraordinary one of his novels, Beckett's novels, in complete form next year. Yeah. Um, performance, uh, just on my own. Uh, All right. So yeah. Beckett and, and Joyce, I mean, I, God's sake, I couldn't even write a composition in school, you know what I mean? I couldn't speak up in class because it would bait out of me. I couldn't write because I was so bad at it and getting yeah. leathered around the classroom, you know what I mean? So I That's incredible that shit. Actually. I was such low self esteem <laughs> and confidence when I started out. And what do we do? Go into performance. As they say, who said that? Was it was it uh, Oscar Wilde as well? That the uh, the stage is the the shy person's revenge on the world. <laughs> Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. And I know what performers, I, you may know in your field as well as some performers I know are fucking. It's like they, they're they sick before they go on stage. Oh, yeah. But, and then they um, go on stage and they're like, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jerry Seinfeld said, uh, I can talk to all of you, but I can't talk to any of you. <laughs> Which is. Uh, but we put ourselves out there. Because whatever, that's our need as well, our ego and our need. To, to show ourselves, but it's also, I mean, how the hell, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to you when I was 19. I couldn't look at you. Hardly, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then. That was me too, actually, yeah. You know? Yeah. So what is that? And I, I know a lot of performers, most performers I know are quite shy. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, but it's a different thing. The stage is a different thing. It's big. Mm. It's, it's your revenge, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, congratulations on your revenge. Thank you, Joe. It was lovely. <laughs> oh, yes. What a lovely man. Raymond Keane, very uh, exact and exactly how he, uh, what he thinks and what he believes. He's very straightforward, wonderful. Um, well, I'm, I'm, uh, and I'd highly recommend you go to Ulysses in the Abbey. It's going for a few weeks, so I'd 
Highly recommend it. I'm still here in Drada. It's like a ghost town. Still people driving through there, as you might have heard. They must be going on very necessary journeys. Um, and there's one place open. One place open. Four Star Pizza. They're still making the pizzas. And people are making that necessary journey to collect them. Well, uh, if you're first time listening, or even if it's not actually, uh, I'll go on the, uh, give me a, a four star, five star, <laughs> five star. See, I said four star pizza, so I, I was uh, confused. But give me a five star review in the uh, iTunes, if you can go on that. And uh, if you liked the interview, give me your feedback. You can do that on Twitter at Joe Rooney One, or you can uh, go on my website www.joerooneycomedian.com and send me an email and tell me how wonderful I am. Or you can go on Facebook and just find me. Or you can come up to me in the street and go, Joe Rooney, here's five stars for you. In the form of a 50,000 euro check. You can do that. If you would like to see me doing comedy and you live somewhere out near Cunnamara, it's getting windy here. Then I'm in the Pochin still, out in Connemara. On Pochin still. Uh, you'll find all my dates on the website there. Uh, yeah, well, that's all. Uh, thanks for subscribing. Thank you very much, though, really. It means a lot to me that I get the, uh, the uh, feedback from people and that people are listening and liking what I'm doing here on Potterooney. And um, this is the first one that's going out with the head stuff. The uh, head stuff, under the umbrella of head stuff who uh, I will be under their umbrella for the next foreseeable future. And it's wonderful to be joining up uh, with such uh, uh, other wonderful podcasts, such as Reviewables, that I just uh, did a little guest spot on there recently. This is brilliant. If you could see what's happening, I'm just walking around. There's just no one around. It's like, it's like a nuclear, there's a nuclear holocaust has happened. Everyone's staying indoors. And uh, and it's not even it's not even it's just a little bit of a breeze. So if Matt Aaron can do that, I mean, I wonder what Jim Cora thinks of this. He probably thinks there's some kind of uh, some kind of conspiracy. Yeah, they want us off the streets. Jim Cora's probably wandering around Dundalk, going, "What are they doing? Are they swapping? They're swapping?" Uh, uh, all the buildings or something like they're probably downloading all the information from the CCTV cameras that are uh, hitting all over Ireland they are, I, I just imagine that's how Jim Carr talks uh, I'd never heard him and there's no accent, no Dundalk accent, is there a Dundalk accent off his, off his drumming I wonder, when he hits a snare drum does it go I don't know, but um, yeah, so that's the story here. So I'm really giving you, if this was live, I'd be 
I'd be giving you a report from the uh, centre of the storm. Perhaps this is the centre, and that's why there's no wind. It's probably the centre of the hurricane. Oh dear! So I'd like to thank my son, Daniel Rooney, for the music that you hear, the reggae-style music that you hear on this podcast. And I used to thank him every time I did the podcast. I just got fed up thanking him. And uh, I got annoyed with him because he kept leaving his underpants on the bathroom floor. So I said, keep doing that and I won't thank you for the music on my podcast. But uh, I decided to thank him this week. If you're still listening. He's not listening, I know that. Well, that's it. That's the uh, podcast. Potteroonie, Raymond Keane, we'll be back. Oh, there's the other two people that were up in the graveyard. There's just me and those two people in Drada. And the odd person in a car. Like this man here. Who must be making a necessary journey. I was went to see the breeders tonight, and that was cancelled because of this flipping wind. Um, I'm sure when they find out how how fucking shit the wind is, they'll they'll be pissed off. Um, but maybe it just hasn't got here yet. Okay. See ye. See ye, you fucking... You fuck off, will you? See ya, bye. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. This year's been a roller coaster, and not the fun kind. Businesses know it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. That's why you need NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting to identify rising costs, automate business processes, and save money. Over 31,000 businesses have the confidence they need because of NetSuite. See if you qualify for NetSuite's one-of-a-kind flexible financing offer. Head to netsuite.com go right now. netsuite.com go.